Farmer Giles of Ham, or the vulgar tongue, The Rise and Wonderful Adventures of Farmer Giles, Lord of Tame, Count of Wormingham, and King of the Little Kingdom. Forward. Of the history of the Little Kingdom, few fragments have survived, but by chance, an account of its origin has been preserved. A legend, perhaps, rather than an account. For it is evidently a late compilation, full of marvels, derived not from sober annals, but from the popular lays to which its author frequently refers. For him, the events that he records lay already in a distant past. But he seems nonetheless to have lived himself in the lands of the little kingdom. Such geographical knowledge as he shows, it is not his strong point, is of that country, while of regions outside it, north or west, he is plainly ignorant. An excuse for presenting a translation of this curious tale out of its very insular Latin into the modern tongue of the United Kingdom may be found in the glimpse that it affords of life in a dark period of the history of Britain, not to mention the light that it throws on the origin of some difficult place names. Some may find the character and adventures of its hero attractive in themselves, the boundaries of the little kingdom, either in time or space, are not easy to determine from the scanty evidence. Since Brutus came to Britain, many kings and realms have come and gone. The only partition, the partition under Locrin, Camber, and Albanac, was only the first of many shifting divisions. What with the love of petty independence on the one hand, and on the other the greed of kings for wider realms, Years were filled with swift alternations of war and peace, of mirth and woe, as historians from the reign of Arthur tell us, a time of unsettled frontiers, when men might rise and fall suddenly, and songwriters had abundant material for eager audiences. Somewhere in those long years, after the death of King Cole, maybe, but before Arthur or the Seven Kingdoms of England, we must place the events here related and their scene is the Valley of Thames, with an excursion northwest to the walls of Wales. The capital of the Little Kingdom was evidently, as is ours, in its southeast corner, but its confines are vague. It seems never to have reached far up the Thames into the west, nor beyond Otmore to the north. Its eastern borders are dubious. There are indications in a fragmentary legend of Georgius, son of Giles, and his page, Suavitellarius Suet, that at one time an outpost against the Middle Kingdom was maintained at Farthinghoe, but that situation does not concern this story, which is now presented without alteration or further comment, through, though the original grandiose title has been crudely reduced to Farmer Giles of Ham. <clears throat> Farmer Giles of Ham. Agidius de Hamo was a man who lived in the midmost parts of the island of Britain. In full, his name was Agidius Ahanbarbus Julius Agricola de Hamo, for people were richly endowed with names in those days, now long ago, when this island was still happily divided into many kingdoms. There was more time then 
and folk were fewer, so that most men were distinguished. However, those days are now over, so I will, in what follows, give the man his, na his name shortly, and in the vulgar form. He was Farmer Giles of Ham, and he had a red beard. Ham was only a village, but villagers were proud and independent still in those days. Farmer Giles had a dog. The dog's name was Garm. Dogs had to be content with short names in the vernacular. The book Latin was reserved for their betters. Garm could not talk even dog Latin, but he could use the vulgar tongue, as could most dogs of his day, either to bully or to brag or to wheedle in. Bullying was for beggars and trespassers, bragging for other dogs, and wheedling for his master. Garm was both proud and afraid of Giles, who could bully and brag better than he could. The time was not one of hurry or bustle, but bustle has very little to do with business. Men did their work without it, and they got through a deal both of work and of talk. There was plenty to talk about, for memorable events occurred very frequently. But at the moment when this tale begins, nothing memorable had, in fact, happened in Ham for quite a long time, which suited Farmer Giles down to the ground. He was a slow sort of fellow, rather set in his ways and taken up with his own affairs. He had his hands full, he said, keeping the wolf from the door. That is, keeping himself as fat and comfortable as his father before him. The dog was busy helping him. Neither of them gave much thought to the wide world outside their fields, the village, and the nearest market. But the wide world was there. The forest was not far off, and away west and north were the wild hills and the dubious marches of the mountain country. And among other things, still at large, there were giants, rude and uncultured folk, and troublesome at times. There was one giant in particular, larger and more stupid than his fellows. I find no mention of his name in the histories, but it does not matter. He was very large. His walking stick was like a tree, and his tread was heavy. He brushed elms aside like tall grasses, and he was the ruin of roads and the desolation of gardens, for his great feet made holes in them as deep as wells. If he stumbled into a house, that was the end of it. And all this damage he did wherever he went, for his head was far above the roofs of the houses and left his feet to look after themselves. He was nearsighted and also rather deaf. Fortunately, he lived far off in the wild and seldom visited the lands inhabited by men, at least not on purpose. He had a great tumble-down house away up in the mountains, but he had very few friends owing to his deafness and his stupidity and the scarcity of giants. He used to go out walking in the wild hills and in the empty regions at the feet of the mountains, all by himself. One fine summer's day, this giant went out for a walk and wandered aimlessly along, doing a great deal of damage in the woods. Suddenly he noticed that the sun was setting and felt that his supper time was drawing near. But he discovered that he was in a part of the country that he did not know at all and had lost his way. 
making a wrong guess at the right direction. He walked, and he walked until it was dark night. Then he sat down and waited for the moon to rise. Then he walked and walked in the moonlight, striding out with a will, for he was anxious to get home. He had left his best copper pot on the fire, feared that the bottom would be burned. But his back was to the mountains, and he was already in the lands inhabited by men. He was indeed now drawing near to the farm of Agidius Ahanbarbus Julius Agricola, and the village called in the Vulgar tongue Ham. It was a fine night. The cows were in the fields, and Farmer Giles' dog had got out and gone for a walk on his own account. He had a fancy for moonshine and rabbits. He had no idea, of course, that a giant was also out for a walk. That would have given him a good reason for going out without leave, and a still better reason for staying quiet in the kitchen. At about two o'clock, the giant arrived in Farmer Giles' fields, broke the hedges, trampled the crops, flattened the mowed grass. In five minutes, he had done more damage than the royal fox hunt could have done in five days. Garn heard a thump, thump coming along the river bank, and he ran to the west side of the low hill on which the farmhouse stood just to see what was happening. Suddenly he saw the giant stride right across the river and tread upon Galathia, the farmer's favorite cow, squashing the poor beast as flat as the farmer could have squashed a black beetle. That was more than enough for Garn. He gave a yelp of fright and bolted home. Quite forgetting that he was out without leave, he came and barked and yammered underneath his master's bedroom window. There was no answer for a long time. Farmer Giles was not easily wakened. Help! 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 cried Garm. The window opened suddenly, and a well-aimed bottle came flying out. Ow! said the dog, jumping aside with practiced skill. Help! 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 Out popped the farmer's head. Drat you, dog! What be you a-doin'? said he. Nothing, said the dog. I'll give you nothing. I'll slay the skin off you in the morning, said the farmer, slamming the window. Help! 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 cried the dog. Out came Giles' head again. I'll kill you if you make another sound, he said. What's come to you, you fool? Nothing, said the dog, but something's come to you. What do you mean, said Giles, startled in the midst of his rage. Never before had Garm answered him saucily. There's a giant in your fields, an enormous giant, and he's coming this way, said the dog. Help, help! He's trampling on your sheep. He has stamped on poor Galathia, and she's as flat as a doormat. Help, help! He's bursting all your hedges, and he's crushing all your crops. You must be bold and quick, master, or you will soon have nothing left. Help! Garm began to howl. Shut up, said the farmer, and he shut the window. Lord have mercy, he said to himself. And though the night was warm, he shook and shivered. Get back to bed and don't be a fool, said his wife. And drown that dog in the morning. There's no call for believing what a dog says. They'll tell any tale when caught truant or thieving. Maybe, Agatha, said he, and maybe not. 
But there's something going on in my fields, or Garm's a rabbit. That dog was frightened. And why should he come yammering in the night when he could sneak back at the door with the milk in the morning? Don't stand there arguing, said she. If you believe the dog, then take his advice. Be bold and quick. Easier said than done, answered Giles. For indeed he, ha <clears throat> he believed quite half of Garm's tale. In the small hours of the night, giants seem less unlikely. Still, property is property, and Farmer Giles had a short way with trespassers that few could outface. So he pulled on his breeches and went down into the kitchen and took his blunderbuss from the wall. Some may well ask what a blunderbuss was. Indeed, this very question, it is said, was put to the four wise clerks of Oxenford, and after thought they replied, a blunderbuss was a short gun with a large bore firing many balls or slugs and capable of doing execution within a limited range without exact aim. Now superseded in civilized countries by other firearms. <clears throat> However, Farmer Giles' blunderbuss had a wide mouth that opened like a horn, and it did not fire balls or slugs, but anything that he could spare to stuff in. And it did not do execution, because he seldom loaded it, and never let it off. The sight of it was usually enough for his purpose. And this country was not yet civilized, for the blunderbuss was not superseded. It was, indeed, the only kind of gun there was, and rare at that. People preferred bows and arrows, and used gunpowder mostly for fireworks. Well, then, Farmer Giles took down the blunderbuss, and he put in a good charge of powder, just in case extreme measures should be required. And into the wide mouth he stuffed old nails and bits of wire, pieces of broken pot, bones and stones, and other rubbish. Then he drew on his top boots and his overcoat, and he went out through the kitchen garden. The moon was low behind him, and he could see nothing worse than the long black shadows of bushes and trees. But he could hear a dreadful stamping, stumping, coming up the side of the hill. He did not feel either bold or quick, whatever Agatha might say. But he was more anxious about his property than his skin. So feeling a bit loose about the belt, he walked toward the brow of the hill. Suddenly, up over the edge of it, the giant's face appeared, pale in the moonlight, which glittered in his large round eyes. His feet were still far below, making holes in the fields. The moon dazzled the giant, and he did not see the farmer. But Farmer Giles saw him, and was scared out of his wits. He pulled the trigger without thinking, and the blunderbuss went off with a staggering bang. By luck, it was pointed more or less at the giant's large, ugly face. Out flew the rubbish and the stones, and the bones, and the bits of crock, and wire, and half a dozen nails. And since the range was indeed limited, by chance and no choice of the farmers, many of these things struck the giant. A piece of pot went in his eye, and a large nail stuck in his nose. Blast, said the giant, in his vulgar fashion. I'm stung. The noise had made no impression on him. He was rather deaf, but he did not like the nail. It was a long time since he had met any insect fierce enough to pierce his thick skin. But he had heard tell 
that away east in the ferns there were dragonflies that could bite like hot pincers. He thought he must have run into something of the kind. Nasty, unhealthy parts, evidently, said he. I shan't go any further this way tonight. So he picked up a couple of sheep off the hillside to eat when he got home, and he went back over the river, making off about north-northwest at a great pace. He found his way home again in the end, for he was at last going in the right direction, but the bottom was burned off his copper pot. As for Farmer Giles, when the blunderbuss went off, it knocked him over flat on his back, and there he lay, looking at the sky, wondering if the giant's feet would miss him as they passed by. But nothing happened, and the stamping, stumping died away in the distance. So he got up, rubbed his shoulder, and picked up the blunderbuss. Then suddenly he heard the sound of people cheering. Most of the people of Ham had been looking out of their windows. A few had put on their clothes and come out after the giant had gone away. Some were now running up the hill, shouting. The villagers had heard the horrible thump, thump of the giant's feet, and most of them had immediately got under their bedclothes. Some had got under their beds, but Garm was both proud and frightened of his master. He thought him terrible and splendid when he was angry, and he naturally thought that any giant would think the same. So as soon as he saw Giles come out with the blunderbuss, a sign of great wrath as a rule, he rushed off to the village, barking and crying, Come out, come out, come out, get up, get up, come and see my great master. He is bold and quick. He's going to shoot the giant for trespassing. Come out. The top of the hill could be seen from most of the houses. When the people and the dogs saw the giant's face rise above it, they quailed and held their breath. And all but the dog among them thought that this would prove the matter, a matter too big for Giles to deal with. Then the blunderbuss went bang, and the giant turned suddenly and went away, and in their amazement and their joy they clapped and cheered, and Garm nearly barked his head off. Hooray, they shouted, that will learn him. Master Egidus has given him what for. Now he will go home and die and serve him right and proper. Then they all cheered again together. But even as they cheered, they took note for their own profit, that after all, this blunderbuss could really be fired. There had been some debate about in the village inns on that point, but now the matter was settled. Farmer Giles had little trouble with trespassers after that. <clears throat> so maybe we'll stop there for tonight. Let's stop there, read, let's stop there, read, let's stop there, let's stop there, read.